Greetings, music archaeologist. I'm Lisa Landone. And I'm Art Gerkins. Welcome to Off the Charts. The podcast that digs up original local music from yesterday. So you can hear it today. Welcome to the show. They are killer. They are kick-ass, and boy, I love what what I'm listening to. Art and I are here today with Mike Fransman, the bass player from (laughs) Blind Justice, the thumping, I wish my thumb were bigger the way you say that. (laughs) I, you know, it sounded pretty big to me. Thank you so much for having us here today. Oh, my pleasure. Oh, and you know, and we invited Sean Corvino because he was there right from the beginning. I know he was. So he saw us through a lot of the the early times and then the sort of famous times and then the personnel changes, which came much later, you know. Right, right. Sean. Yes, I'm I'm here, but I want to be in the background right now. I want Mike to to flesh out this, this, like you said, we all wish. We could have been in blind justice. <laughs> I know that's true. It's almost hard to know where to begin. If you grew up in this area, you knew that a blind justice show was more than just going to see a band. This was an event. This was an eruption. This was like bombastic. Yeah, what's up, everybody? Welcome to Toads. This was a great band, and based on the time period, I, I wasn't in Connecticut at that time, but I went to all those clubs. Uh, I used to go there for music all the time, but I missed this this band. Your excitement in your introduction was shared by me because I came from another band that was very uh, cerebral. We, we had cerebral lyrics and progressive guitars that I had to really struggle to learn a bass line. So when we got in Blind Justice, I also didn't know what to expect. And when it all came together with rap and rock and metal and funk and dance and a DJ scratching, I mean, we had never really seen that yet. Even though I was in the band, I was on stage going, wow, this is incredible. You know, So I was a fan, but on stage. Mike, let's rewind just a little bit. You're from where? Uh, born and raised in New Haven. Before you were a kick butt bass player, you were a drummer and a guitarist. Sort of true. Definitely was a guitarist. So we were young. There were no cell phones. None of us drove yet. We used to cut through the woods behind my house and walk to a department store because they had video games. You would put a quarter in and play Space Invaders. Nice. That was the only kind of gaming mm-hmm. that was around. But we would walk by a house and we would hear guitars. And one day in the summer, we saw the kid play and we're like, wow, he's really good. And everybody was doing, like back then, there were only like two or three uh, exemplary guitarists. And it was Ted Nugent, Eddie Van Halen, and maybe Jimmy Page. And he was doing all those riffs. So we introduced ourselves. It was Kurt, Kurt Carbone, amazing guitar player. So we would jam. And all that meant is... My brother would play drums, and me and Kurt were on guitar. And so they decided to start a band. So Kurt was on guitar. Andy Dugan was on bass. My brother was the drummer, Steve Franzman. So I started to book the band for them. And we had a gig coming up in three months at Quinnipiac College. We're getting ready for that. And then 
Andy had some other project and he had to leave. So Andy quit. So now they didn't have a bassist. And Kurt said to me, hey, we need a bassist. And you know the songs because you've been hanging out. And you know how to play guitar. If you play the bass for us, you're in the band. I said, no, I'm not a bass player. And I don't have a bass. And I don't have a bass amp. And he handed me a bass. He had one. He said, if you... And he literally said it like this. If you have the balls to learn the songs on bass, you're going to be in our band. And when I say I was a drummer back then, my dad had taught me some drum beats with sticks, but on pillows and on album covers with brushes. So I sort of knew what the drummer was doing, but I had never been on a kit back then. Uh, but whenever I was near drums, I'd say, oh, can I try that? You know. And then my brother bought drums, so then I would, I would play. To me, playing bass is like playing guitar on a drum set or like playing drums on a guitar. Bass is yeah. right in between them. Right. So I, I took to it. Um, so now <laughs> this band was not Blind Justice. This was... This was Images. What so year are we talking about? Uh, like... This was 1986. And right. I'm always fascinated by that. So no formal music training. You just No, just my dad showing music. me stuff. Yeah, wow. my dad... Uh, my dad was old school. When I grew up, he listened to The Ventures. Mm-hmm. Oh, um, I love them. Uh, Dwayne Eddy. Yeah, so he was surf. Yeah. yeah, and even Johnny Cash that we didn't consider he was country. He was mm-hmm. like a rock star. So how did you connect with Blind Justice? Right, okay. So Images was definitely Kurt Carbone's band. And Kurt, he could do leads like Ingve Malmsteen. Oh my gosh, right. Or the guy from Rush, who I can't think of his name right now. Alex Lifeson. Alex Lifeson, yeah. And he could go back and forth like that. He'll go, Ingve, you'll hear some riffs in Alex Life, but, but all original. Mm-hmm. So after about 103 gigs, we hit a certain level. We were playing at the Foundry every Wednesday as a house band. It was nice. But Kurt, I think, wanted another challenge, wanted to start a jazz band. So he literally disbanded the band after 103 gigs. Mm-hmm. At the same time, we were also, all of us, including Kurt, were the house band at a play called Prom Night 63. And Chris Keys was in that play. Mm-hmm. And there was an old, it was all 50s. It was Prom Night 63, but we played 50s hits, you know, the classics. And there was a song called Hey Baby. You know that song? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so Chris, uh, he would steal the show in this part where he played a guy named House that was based on Archie Comics. You know, the guy talks like this. Yeah. What was that guy's name in Archie Comics? Uh, moose? Moose, moose yeah. yeah. He was like a moose character. And he would say, oh, I want to ask... Betty to the prom, but I'm scared. And they said, well, why don't you try singing it to her? And they would hand him a microphone. And in the play, he started singing, hey, baby. And he would sing really good. And then he would look at the mic surprised, like, how did that How did I do that? And the audience loved it. He was so good with that audience. And I said, boy, he's like a showman, natural showman. Mm -hmm. So after the play ended, I said, Chris, I have all these instrumental tracks I wrote. uh, And I'm letting people sing over them. You know, I knew some female singers, some male singers. Uh, if they had words or I had words, sing over this, see what you have. So I showed Chris, my, I think I had three songs that were only instrumentals with no titles. One was William the Poet, that mm-hmm. became that. And one was Web Girls, uh, White Hope, I think was one. Mm-hmm. But so it was just a jam that I had. So I had a drum machine, bass, and guitar. I thought he would sing over it like he did in the play. But he opened his book and he sang a little. And next thing I know, he, he was rapping. And, you know, rap back then, rap was black music, they mm-hmm. rapped, white music, they sang. Yeah. It wasn't really mixed no, back then. No, it wasn't, right. But Chris, he did it so seamlessly. Uh, and looking back and listening, he sounded like LL Cool J in his approach. So he rapped over to the three songs. And William the Poet, uh, I know, Art, you were That's interested. one of the ones yeah. I liked, yep. You were interested in this. That happened because 
The same uh, Prom Night 63 happened in Performance Studio in New Haven on Chapel Street. They also did Shakespeare on the New Haven Green, yeah. and Chris was in that. But they said to Chris, hey, you sing, and you're in a band. Can you um, do a commercial for us that WYBC will play about Shakespeare? So I had this little jam, and he was going, Shakespeare, and he sang some iambic pentameter stuff over it, but he rapped over it. And then we tried another version of it, and those two versions sort of became William the Poet. Shakespeare! Ah, yeah. The question asked the wildlife. Juliet answered it with a knife. One night, in the midst of summer, I wrote rose, got it straight with my drummer. I took notes from a famous sir who wrote in iambic pentameter. William, the writer, he wrote it clear. First name Will, the last Shakespeare. William, the writer, a product writer and never a biter. I'm talking about William, the poet. A deaf style, I'm gonna show it. I'm talking about William, the writer. French Romans, I dedicate. The winds crack their cheeks and the earth does quake. No mistake, he had a poetic style. I've been tempted for a while. Took cold, him recite his work and his words. So I can stand up for bastards. I'm assured every time I portray a character in one of William's plays at the bar, we'll have dimension and gall. I might as well talk through a wall and have a ball. We'll be the laughter of sorrow. Not tomorrow, tomorrow, tomorrow. Matter for matter, this is a death rhyme. What to do about nothing but right on time? Where for off, by wherever you are, come and hear the death style. The author, the William Shakespeare. William the poet. Countrymen, I come not to this William, but to bring up again to the world at hand. Understand, this is a new one. The rhyme design is a new one, a new way. Do the past to be heard at last. You wanna hear it? Cause I know the future's bigger to be heard today in this way. It's no fear, it's just William Shakespeare. Boy, as an English major, uh, I told Lisa, we gotta listen to, to William the Poet because. Boy, how many times do you hear in the in the lyrics iambic pentameter, right? I mean, right. That, that's exactly. awesome. And but if, um, yep. And if you know your Shakespeare, he quotes different plays, whether it's Midsummer Night's Dream or, right. uh, like the play within the play. Somebody said something about tomorrow, 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 mm -hmm. and he said those little things. Yeah. Right. Said some Shakespearean things. Is that a chip I just? Did? Yeah, I'm sorry. <laughs> Can you hear that? Are you sharing? Yeah. For <laughs> um, now, we have you and Chris. Who then did you bring in? To play the drums and play the guitar. How? What's happening oh, now? Who's okay. coming into it? This is what's funny. Okay. I didn't want to be in another band. Like I said, we just did 103 gigs with Images, and it was kind of exhausting. You're yeah. like Al Pacino. They keep pulling me back. Exactly. In. I was yeah. like Godfather yeah. Tree. Yeah. A lot of people start writing songs and playing out, like say Neil Young, before they get in a band. Yep. I did the opposite. I was in a band before I wrote my own stuff, mm -hmm. and I wanted to now write my own stuff yeah. and not be in a band. So me and Chris did whatever we did, three or four songs on my four-track cassette. Cassette mastered for your enjoyment. <laughs> <laughs>
Um, it was so bad, the hiss of cassettes. I know. But I was happy with the songs we did. I think we did Hey Baby, which was a cover, and we did In Stereo, William the Poet, Web Girls. I was happy with them as much as you could be with a four-track. But then I also introduced Chris to my friend Mike Ranciato, who is a DJ at Demery's and other dance clubs, boppers. You know, he, he was sort of an in-demand DJ, not only playing actual songs, but he could scratch, he could do those things. And he played guitar, he played keyboard. So one day, way after the introduction, a couple months later, I ran into Mike Ranciato, and he said, hey, I made a song with Chris, can I show it to you? So we get in his van, and he plays me a cassette he made of the song Blind Justice, where Chris, he sampled Chris's voice, and he's going, what exactly is Blind Justice? And I, again, I didn't know about sampling or any of the things he did. So I was impressed with that sound and his particular drum machine sound. Then I played in mine, and I guess he was impressed with mine. And then, so here's where it became a band. And Chris will be the first one to tell you. I checked with Chris. His story, he was a drug addict. And so he was in NA, Narcotics Anonymous. Um, and he was one of the few people that wouldn't keep it anonymous. He would say on stage, I'm an addict, and I'll abuse people, places, and things unless I stay in touch with my higher power. And he would say that to the audience and to the band. I remember. So yeah. we would help him stay on track. Mm -hmm. In fact, we didn't drink around him. We didn't smoke around him. So we did NA talent shows. And so there is Ranciato on keyboards and, and on uh, scratching of the turntables. I was on bass. Uh, we had a couple of guitar players. In fact, Kirk Carbone from Images came in and filled in for a while. But we needed a drummer, and they knew Pete. He didn't have hi-hats. He didn't have cymbals. He didn't have a car, so he was late to rehearsals. But he was such a great drummer. And, but at one point, we almost fired him. Someone said, oh, we should get rid of him. He's never here. He doesn't have a kit. I said, I know, but his feel, even when he's just tapping the rim of the drum and playing with no hi-hats, he's so good, it's making my bass sound better. Mm -hmm. You know, because drums and bass really are a marriage. Right, they're married, right. yeah. And so we hung in there. He got a kit. And next thing you know, we were a band, but we didn't call it Blind Justice. Every time we wrote a good song, that was the name of the band. So first we were The Tribe, then we were um, Checkmate, yeah. and then we were Blind Justice. Let's listen to The Tribe and Checkmate. All right, this is from Trod Nossel. Bombastic. <laughs> Percussion, the tribe's last chance In this world, sometimes it's time to stay alive Take off your mask and join the tribe
Pump up the dragnet. You know a lot of people out there cracking up. We're not. You crack up, you crack up, and you crack down. Death. Total frustration. My nation caught. Drug sedation. My nation is caught in a trap. So what else can I do but rap? We better move with our king at this rate. The evil queen has the pawn, and she said, trash me. The pulse stand poised, packed to the hill. The crack it up, laid out to run from guilt. Jumbo crack, no slack ticking in. Only God knows when the shooting begins. Some shack sound, a major roller. Liking his nights, set for money holder. Crack heads gather like bites to cheese. They'll do anything, even work the wall breaker. Get a rush, a blast. The cast
Now the band is really starting to gel, right? Things are starting to happen. You're realizing that you got something here, I'm pretty sure. Uh, yeah, musically. Yeah. Uh, I don't feel like... Like later, we felt like the audience was going crazy for us. But up till now, it was just like the musicians and the singer. We were going, wow, this is really working. Uh, a lot of times when you're in a band, you're not happy because someone else is telling you what to play. Or you're struggling with what to play yourself. But we all came, like Fred Clark came from his bands and he was an accomplished player. Ed McPadden was in Kinetic Sec. Yeah, he was he accomplished. Was great. And, yep. uh, and Pete was great on drums. I came from Images. So 103 gigs were my rehearsal for Blind Justice. And Mike Rianciato, he knew multiple instruments as well. So when we finally came together and we each played what we wanted to play, it was a joy. Nobody, it was like, like if you're in a bad marriage for a bunch of years and then you get divorced and you're free no one tells you when to eat that's what this band was like they don't tell you what to play you know <laughs> and it's unusual for that to happen you know bands are, are like marriages yeah in fact and putting your minds together to create this thing and everybody really getting to do what they want yeah what they really want this is unusual mike it was unusual yeah yeah, yeah. it's awesome i mean the tribe is just a killer song i love that song and uh, it'll make my wife happy. Her high school girlfriends all get together. They call themselves the tribe. And I oh, said, oh, yeah, I, yeah. I want you to listen to this. You got the theme song. I got the theme song. <laughs> and, uh, just really good vibe. Yeah. You know what? And you started talking about the live shows, right? Mm -hmm. And I wasn't right. going to go there yet, but I, I think I want to. Okay. You know. Those live shows were like nothing. I and Sean, I think you'll agree, right? You I there? agree, Lisa. Come I on. agree. Who? What show was like blind? We didn't. We didn't even know what planet we were on. I brought some friends to a blind justice show, and uh, it was some big. It was like a gymnasium or something like that. And I said, this time, I wanted to be right up in the front. So the three of us are standing up there, and all of a sudden, now there's a huge crowd. I don't know how many, 800 people were there. I really don't know. Yeah, they were packed. It was. And all of a sudden, the music starts. The musicians are on stage, but you don't see Chris. And the crowd is starting to swell. You know that crowd swell? You know, Sean, what I'm oh, talking yeah. about? You know yeah. something's going to happen, and it might get dangerous. Right. But I love that you say, and you don't see Chris. Mm -hmm. We were so frustrated as his musicians, because <laughs> he would say, go on at 8 o'clock. And start playing. And you won't know where I am. And I'm like, dude, no, you got to be here. You know, I don't even know if you got into the, to the club. Mm -hmm. He didn't drive. <laughs> and he would say, Tru trust me, you just play. And after like three or four minutes yep. of you playing, I'm going to. He'll have an entrance. And you can tell what you He always did. He had an entrance. Like, I'm looking at the stage, looking at the stage. Where is he? And it went on forever. Yeah. Yeah. So all of a sudden, I noticed that a lot of people are kind of turning around and looking behind them. So I look and I see Chris standing up on top of this, like, piece of wood. And people are carrying him like they Yeah, like, like an Egyptian, yeah, like uh, an Egyptian thing, and sphinx or whatever. And he's, like, completely silver. Yeah. Right? And everybody just went berserk. Then he hits the stage and he's like, bam! And everybody yeah. burst into virtual flame. My friends, their eyes were like, were like this. But I will say this. My cool factor 
increased by about yeah, you ten brought them notches because right. I brought them. Yeah. 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 So thank you for that. You were like Prometheus. Yeah. yeah now let me add. So yeah. That that era, like kids today, might mm-hmm. not know any of this. They don't. They might know what slam dancing is. They might mm-hmm. not know what uh, moshing is. Mm-hmm. Uh, in my day, and I'm going to say 85, 86, for example, the Ramones played at yeah. at a little arcade in Brantford called Sneakers, and we went to it. Mm-hmm. And the way they would slam dance to mm-hmm. the Ramones, they would stand like, stand a, pole, like a pole, and they would bounce up and down like a pogo stick, yeah. mm-hmm. and they would sort of the pogo. maybe bounce into their friend's shoulders a little bit, mm-hmm. very gentle. Mm-hmm. That's what I was used to. And then with Blind Justice... And and this is the reason, I think the reason it was so instant and uh, and infectious when the moshing started. Uh, moshing is like if slam dancing was an actual war or a football game. They were like elbows and punching and shoving each other. And if you fell, you hoped that somebody would help Pick you up. You up. They usually did. Yeah. But if they didn't, you'd be stomped. You mm-hmm. know. Uh, and only once I was caught in a mosh pit. And if you have glasses, you can't be in there. Because like, no. you drop them, you're trying to get them, you're on the ground, and they're stomping all over you. Uh, but So as a musician, up until Blind Justice, we were always, hey, keep the beat. Maybe we should use a click track in the studio. It should be steady. Stay in the right, in the right key. We're in the key of G in this song. And you stayed that way. But in this band, like Pete, I don't know what he listened to where he would say, so we're playing the song. It's going right, and but then I'm gonna go one, two, three, four, and, and go faster. And I would say you can't do that in the middle of a song. It'll sound like a mistake, or or even worse if we were playing along and he wanted to slow down. Slow down. And I go no. When bands slow down, it sounds like they don't know what they're doing, you know. But he would convince us that he's no. I'll take you through it. So we'd be playing right, and then he go, and and that change in beat made the crowd go nuts yeah that's when the moshing mm-hmm. would erupt and again i was on stage learning that you could even do that never mind you're changing a key there i'm a rock and roller i like all the classic rock and all the club rock that used to play all, yeah. all in there and um back in that day i think rap was just coming out or yeah. maybe rap had been around i just didn't listen to it but i find blind justice a cross between rap and rock and roll, yeah. and it's something, and I've heard the term rap and roll. Yeah, and uh, we came up with that yeah. because the phrase didn't exist for what we were fusing. Like, you know, Jeff Beck was fusion of rock and jazz, so that mm-hmm. fusion fusion meant that, rock and jazz. Right. But we were fusing rap, which was done with samples, not a band. Mm-hmm. You might have sampled a band, but it was a record. You'd hear the record, mm-hmm. you know. Yeah. And so... Up until then, rappers were rapping over tracks or albums or samples. We were doing it with a live band that some reviewers have reminded them of Fog Hat or Blue Oyster Cult. So we were doing riffs, mm. but with a rapper. And so you're right, right. We we sort of invented that. And we said, we got to call it something. And we came up with rap and roll. We even wrote it on flyers, you know, right. rap yeah. and roll. You know? Well, it's kind of cool because thinking back to that era, I mean, I, I'm thinking back Red Hot Chili Peppers mm. and Rage Against the Machine. And it sounds like you guys predated some of that. Like, it, it, it was your own genre, almost. Like, you... Well, you know, our guitarist, Fred Clark, says he feels like we did it too early. He mm. said if we came three years later, it might have worked. 
Yeah. Uh, Rage Against the Machine, I think, was 10 years after. Like, like if you listen to The Tribe, you'll hear my bass line, what I'm doing. And in Rage Against the Machine, uh, literally 10 years later, he has mm. a similar bass line. Yeah, but tell the story about Morello being in the audience at your show. Oh, yeah. So 1990, yeah. we're at Toad's, and, uh, and there was no Rage Against the Machine yet, but we played right. with uh, a reggae band and a band called Lock Up. And again, then 20, 30 years goes by, and I heard Fred say, well, I feel like Tom, from seeing us at Toad's, I'm like, who's Tom? He's like, Tom Morello from Rage from Against the Machine. Machine. I'm like, well, when did he see us? He's like, he was in lockup. He, he played with us at Toad's, you know. Oh, wow. So he was in the audience watching us. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, I re- and I always felt like Rage Against the Machine sort of had our formula. Yeah. Except they're more angry. They're more angry and more political, which to me mm-hmm. even gives me a, more excitement. Mm-hmm. Uh, but as far as good lyrics about unity and peace and yeah. diversity, Chris, he uh, definitely he, had that. He definitely yeah. had yeah. that. And, and I always respected the band for that. Right. Because I liked that it had an, a positive message, an inclusive message. Yes. A hopeful message and an honest message. You, yeah. You remember the boxer, the White Hope? We had a song called The White Hope, and mm-hmm. Chris was the White Hope, the rapper. Mm-hmm. But right away, as soon as we you know, honed in on what the message was going to be. And it's going to be that justice should be blind, blind to the color of someone's skin Mm -hmm. right away. Chris said, Hey, we can't call it white hope. It's that's not what we're about. So he changed that song to blind hope. You spent a lot of time with Chris. Can you give us a little insight into like the, the mind of this man? He had a message he wanted to impart and I don't mean it in a preachy way. I'm going to, I'm going to rip myself wide open. Yep. And I'm going to show you who I am. And that's him on stage. But in person, uh, he's soft-spoken. I don't want to say shy, but he, he's kind of a shy guy. But he goes to the gym and lifts weights until he literally had the body of like Arnold Schwarzenegger. But, but what a humble, quiet guy. He studied Indian philosophies. He took breathing courses. Like uh, He knows more spiritual things than most of us mm-hmm. because of all the places he studied around the world now. He's been in bands. He's, he told me he's been in so many bands around the world. Sometimes he has to ask me, when did we do this and why did we write this song? Like, he won't remember because he was in too many things now. Mike, but, what about uh, the AGC posse? What's that all about? Okay, so, mm-hmm. like you said, he, he didn't want to be preachy, but mm-hmm. he wanted to say, hey, we were addicts and a lot of people are addicted to whatever. Like me, I'm, I was never on drugs or alcohol, but I'm addicted to salt and sugar and fat. Like, I love delicious foods and I'm a sugar addict. Like, I could eat sugar all night, chocolate, until I pass out. That's the secret of my physique. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> Sean's laughing. Because Sean. I don't know, Sean, he stays fit. Stop talking about me. I think I'm not he, even here. Oh, I see you. He's so fit. Sean, what, he must be my age, 50-something. He's so fit, I think he fasts. And maybe we'll talk about that well, in a future episode. Well, I always see him. He, he, by the way, always driving his bike around, right? Yeah. So oh, yeah. That's that's right. All the time. Right? Sure. Yeah. Oh, we're going to get to him. Don't worry. Like, Stay at focus. We have a lot episode. to talk about yeah. with this guy yeah. here. Okay, so, Chris, so the AGC posse. Yeah, so Chris, um, when he wrote Carry the Load, and again, we were just, as musicians, we're like, that's a cool riff. And again, Pete and Chris wrote that riff. That was when the band started to change where they were telling us some of the riffs. I didn't necessarily like that. Because the drummer now was showing me a riff, and I'm like, I wouldn't do, I wouldn't go to this note from that one. It sounds wrong. It's just a half step. Um, but we did it, and it sounded raw and good. And that song became the riff for "Carry the Load." Yo, you ready, badness?
Chris explained that to stay on track, mm -hmm. he needed all God's children to help him stay on track. And then he could carry the load. All God's children help carry the load. All God's children is AGC. That's mm -hmm. what the AGC posse is. Yeah. So he didn't really spell it out, but if you listen to that song, he's saying AGC posse, you know, all God's children help carry the load. And he told me recently, uh, he thinks the AGC posse is just as relevant today as it ever was. And he wanted me to make sure I said that to you guys. I'm curious about um, Fred Clark, because yeah. I thought he added a lot to the band. Yeah. And then how you guys worked in the studio to, uh, you know, all... Where did you record briefly, and how mm. who who was doing the producing and the, some of the final? Because your recordings, even though the live shows are amazing, some of the recordings are pretty special too. And yeah. you guys did a good job in the studio. I appreciate that. You know, it's funny. Um, Epic Records, Ken Commissar asked me that once. You know, so first we recorded at Trod Nossel, and I think we did the Tribe Checkmate and Carry the Load there, maybe. Then. We played out a lot, and then we went back in a studio called Carriage House Studio. Um, but here's the cool thing. There was always a good engineer there, both at Trotten Ossel and, and at Carriage mm -hmm. House. And the engineer, as long as he knows how to capture what we brought there, then he's a producer too. That's what I think. But we each produced our own sound. So uh, the drums, I mean, the drummer tunes it, the drummer chooses the cymbals, the drummer sets it up. And as long as that engineer captures it, then it's going to be nice. Right. And we decide, let's not overdo. You know, sometimes there's so much reverb on the snare drum. We didn't want that. Uh, we didn't want the Phil Collins gated drum toms, you know. And so, and you know, I just felt like, I felt like when I played bass with that drummer, I felt like he was like a cross between Led Zeppelin's drummer, John Bonham, and Sly and the Family Stone's drummer. That's what I heard. And I tried to play bass that way, mm -hmm. somewhere across between, you know, John Paul Jones and uh, who is it? Not Larry Graham, Boosie Collins, one of those, who I studied, by the way. There were instructional videotapes back then on VHS where you could learn to play funk bass, and I watched them all, you know. <laughs> Every time you go in a studio with bass, the engineer goes, oh, we're going to plug you right into the board. Just into the board. Oh, right. what a bad... It's, you know what? Everybody, it's the worst sound you'll ever get. It's like... A manila folder, that is what it sounds like, you know, vanilla ice cream. We would try it, and I'd go, the bass is dead. And I'd say, listen, my bass amp at the time was a Galleon Kruger head. The head alone, I think, was $800. Mm -hmm. Then I played through two Mezza Boogie 15s, which were 1000 The rig cost more than my car. I would show up in a station wagon, and the bass stuff cost way more than my car. Wow. So uh, I would convince them, finally, listen, can you just mic the cabinet like you would mic a guitar? And then we'd listen, and they say, yeah, but I'm still going through the board, too. Okay, then we'll mix them later. But when we would mix, that mic'd cabinet, man, it had a presence for bass, especially if you're slapping the funk, you know. And so I produced the bass. Pete produced the drums. Fred had outboard gear, racks of it. So Fred came with a produced sound already, and he went through his amp. And guess what? They mic'd the amp. So... So whatever Fred produced on his own, they captured. Yeah. And Ed McPadden had a compressor on his uh, rig. And it, I think it was a Roland Jazz Chorus amp where it, it had a stereo effect. And it was very compressed and like the fix. Because, again, he came from Kinetic mm -hmm. Sec. That was a great sound in this mm -hmm. band. Yeah. So we each produced our own instrument. The engineer captured it. And I remember Ken Commissar from Epic Records said, Hey, who produced your tape? I go... Uh, nobody we did and he said 
nobody. You guys did it? And I said, well, should we have had a producer? And he started to say, no, we, save it for... And then he stopped because he was about to say, save it for us. But we never got that far. We were ready for when the labels were ready, but they just never gave us a contract. And one day I asked him, I said, hey, you've been almost dabbling with us, you know, dancing around a record deal. What, what's the missing element? And he said, I think we're afraid of you guys. Is my justice, let me explain it. It's what will set us free. It's called equality. Blind to the color of our brother's skin. It's a handicapped judge without a grudge. When a white one takes a walk on the wild side, things are like a sore thumb. We can't have a black South Africa have to fight for their rights. It's not right. But what we need is. What's your Should be equal, point blank. I thank the Lord for my eyes. No ifs and whys and no disguise. Why just it says we all play the same game. We're the head of the fame. This month on we need blind justice. What I'm talking about, keep me talking about. Just a little bit of blind justice. Keep me talking about, you got me talking about. What did you mean? Pity that justice isn't served. The people are weak-willed and got a lot of nerves. They're creating a band of men. Been on racism, causes a collision. Somebody Because we dress all different or like back then, you know, Chris might be silver, the drummer might be green, keyboard player might be blue, but you're afraid of us like physically? And he said, no, we're afraid that if we make an album with you and spend, you know, a million dollars, uh, black radio won't play it because you're white rappers and you're, and you're a band and rappers don't use bands, they use tracks. So we can't sell it on black radio and white radio won't buy it because he's rapping. And I said, yeah, but what about Living Color, right? Right. They were black guys playing rock, yeah. and they were on the radio all the time. Yeah. And he said, yeah, but they're a band. Right. And they're singing. And they're singing, And it's on rapping. white radio right. as a singing band, yeah. you know. Mm -hmm. And so, again, that's what Fred Clark said. Had we done it uh, after Faith No More, or had we done it after the Chili Peppers' Blood Sugar Sex Magic album, yep. that album was as close to what we were doing as any of their albums. I agree with that. Uh, yeah. Yep. But we were already playing... Chili Peppers were established, but once they did that album, and, and then people didn't like Vanilla Ice, even though they liked his song, mm -hmm. Ice Ice Baby, mm -hmm. they didn't like that somehow. He was too cocky or whatever. Yeah. Um, 
we didn't want to recreate that, I guess, is what the labels were thinking. But yeah, it's a shame because if the timing was either earlier or later, it might have worked. One hundred percent would have. You know, it did work. It just didn't work for them. Definitely ahead of your time. Again, I, I mentioned Chili Peppers and Rage, and he mentioned both of them yeah, too. Right. I mean, you you guys were right there. Yeah. Let me ask you this. Um, what, you mentioned you didn't want you, you didn't like the way the the drummer was telling you how to riff. Yeah. Did you like the load at the end? Because I gotta oh. tell you, that's like my yeah, favorite once, song. Yeah. <laughs> once this is what's funny. Uh, I rebelled against the drummer telling me what to play on my bass, right. you know? Um, and I think that came about because, you know, people, as their jobs changed, their availability changed, suddenly the drummer and the singer had more time during the day to start writing stuff. Mm. Before, we all came after work and we would write together. Right. And so we each brought our own thing. But when they had more time, now the drummer and singer started telling us, hey, you, you'll play this and you'll play this. This is Pete and Chris. And I, yeah, and I didn't, I didn't want that. You yeah, know, I yeah. sort of came from a band sure. where it was someone else's songs, and, yeah. and I liked the freedom better. Well, can I ask another but question? But yeah, but, but in the answer to your question, yeah, once we played it as a band, oh, we're like, wow, yeah. that really works. Yeah. So then I started listening to yeah. his ideas about changing speed or slowing down or even changing key because he had good... He was like the Beethoven of, of his era, you know? Dun, 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 dun. Shocked everybody. I guess the original incarnation of the band, you had X number of players, but on the documentary that I saw you working on, available on YouTube, yeah. um, it looks like you got two drummers, you've got, you know, uh, DJs. The it, it like, how many were in the band at the height of it? It, it was, uh, I'll tell you, we didn't count it. And you know what? I don't like two drummers. I don't like two drummers in the Allman Brothers. Mm-hmm. I didn't like it in our band. Now, both drummers were good, mm-hmm. but as soon as you add another bass drum, mm-hmm. what am I supposed to lock into as a mm-hmm. bass player? Well, it they it were, doesn't work. So they weren't you know? playing in sync all the time? They were playing well, different things? Or? Uh, you know how... This is what worked in the band. Mike Ranciato would play a sample, and the sample would have a beat. Yeah. would have a beat. And then he'd play a few bars of that, and I might be playing a bass line with it, and then the drums would come in, the real drums, with that sample, and then we locked in. That's doable. But as soon as you add a second drummer, I feel like I'm not sure who to follow or who to lead, you know? But I will say their approach was, one of them, I think, uh, Tony was his name, he'll play like he's playing a sample, and then Pete would play the funky. So they made it work. They made it work. Well, visually, it looked And good. visually, yeah, yeah. It, it was a yeah. show. And we had Mr. Connecticut posing. That was Lee. Yeah. And we had a DJ on turntable so Mike Rianciato could play keyboard. And we had two guitar players. We had some dancers, really young dancers, that could do a backflip without touching the ground, which I feel like back then was really That's rare. That's really, yeah. Uh, now everybody's doing it. But, um, yeah, that was impressive. Uh, but I remember the lady that booked Toad. She said to somebody, in, in we were in the audience, and we were talking about Blind Justice. And they said, yeah, I never saw them live. And she said, you never saw Blind Justice? And they said, no. And in her English accent, she said, they're a lot of fun. And that is exactly, <laughs> yeah. it is. Yes. It was. I mean, I used to say it's a circus. It was a circus it up there. Was. A three-ring circus in it, one ring. You were, you were talking about the body paint. Uh, yeah, some of the female fans would paint Chris, and they would paint Pete. And I guess anyone else that was getting painted. But uh, one thing they did to Pete... They made his hair, he had long hair, they yeah. made him into a Statue of Liberty. I don't know if that translated live, <laughs> because once he, so what they did, yeah. they would use gelatin and a cold hair dryer. I remember that was the secret. Mm. And they would make his hair into these, like, four-foot points. 
and dry it cold until his hair stayed in four foot points. Wow. And they would paint him green so it looked like the Statue of Liberty playing drums. But, you know, under the lights and then he's sweating. And he's, I think it going. looked, you ever slap a mosquito and he's sort of half dead? Yeah. That's what it looked like to me, like a mosquito <laughs> slap. I said, I don't want to look like that. But, um, I wouldn't paint because my base cost so much. I didn't want to get makeup in right. the fretboard of the wood. Right. Yeah. And I always patterned my look after the Jeff Beck album, Rough and Ready. Did you ever see that album cover? Mm-hmm. You could see all their stubble. Yeah. I don't want to get makeup in my stubble. Plus, I was in sales by day. <laughs> and I was going to have a rash and, you know, be... Why is your skin purple, Mike? Are you suffocating? No, I was in a three-ring circus last No, but night. you had those dance steps down, though. Yeah. Oh, I was so thin I could do the running man yeah, while running playing man, bass. Yeah, I know it. Not now. Yeah. No, I no, bet Sharon could still do the running man. Stay on track, okay? Don't worry about <laughs> me doing the running man. Oh, man. I think it's a chip chip break. <clears throat> let's hear another song. Yeah, let's hear it. I'd like to go to Creep Show. Creep Show, I feel, yeah. is the sequel to Checkmate. Okay. Uh, they're, 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 uh, the theme of them is drug addiction. Right, right. Checkmate, he wrote first, telling you how... Drug addiction is like you're playing a game of chess, Mm -hmm. but you can't win it because addiction is too strong. The pawns stand poised, you know, but the pawns are drug dealers and drug mules and blah, blah, blah. Yo, Arcus, pump up the dragnet. You know a lot of people out there cracking up. Crack up, you crack up, and you crack down. Death. Total frustration, my nation caught. Drug sedation, my nation is caught in a trap. So what else can I do but rap? We better move with our king at this rate. The evil queen eyes the pawn, and she said, trap me.
later, once now we have a band, we're on stage a lot. He personified addiction into a white-faced clown, like a mime, mm-hmm. tall guy in a top hat, who keeps approaching the user and saying, come on, weren't these great times? You know you want to do it one more time. And so he's saying, welcome to the creep show. And he called the master of addiction keeps coming after you to make you do drugs again. So that's what those two, I feel those yeah, two songs kind of are bookends. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, Checkmate. And then about a year later, we wrote Creep Show.
There's a lesson I guess and blessing is jammy I guess what I'll do, huh, is tell you who I am -y. My best friend used to be master addiction I loved him until I found my heart was missing Took it and hit it in his toppy tip drawer Then said, kid, you're the biggest fool I ever saw He took the rope from under my feet He threw me out on the street I thought the high was so sweet But the sugar that he gave me to sour and a crepit Thought I wouldn't make it, thought I was a misfit With no money or a goal or a job I stole for addiction, I was on a shishka box Six quick turning daily on the flame Day after day of using drugs again I was an MIA on an evil course the song that like I always identified with Blind Justice. Yeah. It's the one that really stuck in my head. And it's a story. Yep. It actually has a story. And I made a video of it where you see him like I use the audio from the studio. Mm. It's good and clean and nice. Yep. But it's live footage of him and he literally gets on the stage and tells you what the addiction was doing to him. Mm. Following him, taunting yep. him, you know. Yep. And live we had my friend Ed Kelly who's an impressionist would dress up as a mime in a you know black outfit like a tux and he'd be going come on chris one more time you know and chris would just ignore him and stay singing into the mic you know yeah Pretty cool. you know i didn't realize that he was also an actor but it sure it makes sense now yeah you asked me earlier that. right when yeah. you asked me about chris i said oh he's mm -hmm. kind of shy and mm -hmm. introverted in person but on stage he is an improviser he's a he's an actor he's a performer and he when I met him uh, after the play as a performer, I would see him improvise. Like people would yell something out. You know how improv they'll go, give me an occupation, give me a, you know, a color. They'll say a uh, salesman blue and he would be a blue salesman, but he could improvise. He could sing and improv about it. And he was good that way. 
And if you get him laughing, he's yeah. not an introvert at all. Like I used to make him laugh. I used to, <laughs> we used to improvise laughter stuff in the car on the way to a gig. Right. You know. <laughs> it's it's funny how some people have that that kind of gift. Like if you're talking to them one on one, they might be a little shy, a little introverted. Yeah, yeah. But if you put them in front of like hundreds of people, all of a sudden they're a great communicator. Yeah. It and certainly worked with him. He's good you know? at looking around the room and deciding yeah. what he's going to use. Yeah. Like everything is a prop. Like mm-hmm. we went to a gig once where. We start the gig and he's singing and then suddenly we don't see him and we look and he's on the ceiling hanging from one hand singing. And you're like, wow, how did, how did he do that? You know, so I'm looking at the bass, but he, you know, he climbed the wall, got up where the lights are and, and he was up there to the point where then Toad says, hey, can you not, we're going to book you for the 31st, but you can't go up on the lights. Okay. You know, because he, you know, he's whatever he weighs is probably heavier, as heavy as then the lights. They it, could hold, fall. Right? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Fall on people. One time, you know, the stages that are... Their trailers in the front opens, like yeah. like Norwalk does. Yeah, a show like they like do that. when they do the summer concerts. Yeah, the stuff. summer concert, yeah. the Norwalk Oyster Festival. Yeah, he was standing on that part, <laughs> and all I can think is it's gonna close and it's gonna decapitate, decapitate five people, somebody. and their heads are gonna be at my feet because I'm on the trailer park. And no one will ever forget that show. <laughs> well, think of the possibilities. Think of the possibilities of the next song, though. Sure. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, that's true. Yeah, and when you went to a blind justice show, you never knew what you were going to see. But you knew right. it was going to be great. Right, Sean? Right. Right, Lisa. All right. <laughs> Seriously, I mean, come no, on. No, the you... element of surprise. Yeah. And they, they, this band did everything uh, an original band could and should do to build an audience and create new music. And I'm upset to this day they didn't, they didn't put our <laughs> state on the map. Right, and there I was am no, upset to this day. There was no it. justice for blind that's, justice. That's you true. know, that's isn't funny. that true? That's true. Yeah. Right? I mean, that that's is that true. is so true. No justice for Chris Keith. Yeah, well, I'm going to say, though, but he's still, like, he's, since I've known him, he's moved to California, San Diego, Oregon, India. He's been all over. He's now in Oregon, but he still fronts multiple bands. Like, every year, he'll have three or four different band names that he does regularly and he still paints himself he's still in makeup um i know he likes to be a persona like like we're talking about chris 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 he doesn't ever present himself as chris even in the song he says kjk brings the kiss with no miss of life you know Mm. but he's always either letters or initials or a painted man or rama nomad he he's never chris keys you know not on stage not on stage yeah we sure do appreciate that you know he's allowing us to to do his music and and tell the story through you you know for this podcast yeah and i checked with him i said you know do you do you want to come on and talk is it okay if i tell your story because i'm going to mention all the songs and and they're about addiction stuff he said no you know the story and you know you could tell it he said but make sure you put it on my wall so he wants to hear the finished yeah, product awesome. on all of his pages. He has multiple pages because he has too many followers, imagine. <laughs> so he's Chris Keys, he's Rama Nomad, he's Painted Man. We have to put it on all. No. Wow, Mike, wow. He's yeah, everywhere. Yeah, he's, he's every man. Um, and what I love also, Mike, is that I love the fact that you, throughout the years, have kept Blind Justice alive. Like, you didn't let it just go into obscurity. Oh, I, I don't know if I agree with that. No? Um, when we... The band started having disagreements yeah. uh, about, they wanted to add rehearsal time. And I was telling Sean this earlier. I reached a point because I was working full time. I was doing improv comedy, keyboard playing on like Thursdays, rehearsed with the band once a week, gigged with the band once a week. 
trying to go to church on Sunday, trying to maintain a relationship. I really didn't want to add rehearsals to a band that was already up and running and running well. I mean, we were firing on all cylinders, as they say, in the car business. But uh, suddenly they're like, no, we want to do a different show every single night. Like, you know how like if you're in Van Halen and you do your 20 songs, you do that all over the country. Mm-hmm. The same 20 songs. Same 20, right? You might change a couple. List. Yeah. Chris and, and Pete wanted to do a different set every night. So if I played in New York on Wednesday and then came home and then worked Thursday mm-hmm. and then we had Toads on Thursday, they wanted a whole different set. And I'm like, why? It's a different state. None of the same people are there. And, uh, you know, I didn't want to do that. I wanted the band to be fun, not crazy, you know. And here's what's weird. So, you know who took my place? I called Andy Dugan, who I replaced in Images. I said, hey, you should join this band. He went, oh, I, I, I would join them. So then Andy took my place the same way I took his place in Images. But we left on good terms. I still gave them all the contacts for record labels. Because still, if they got famous, I wrote yeah, half the song. Sure. So, yeah. um, But again, we never were getting uh, the record deal. Then younger kids came in the band, and we called it like Blind Justice Mark II, Mark III, Mark IV, and they toured. So I feel like they kept it alive. And then sort of Gargantua Soul got formed, um, which Chris fronted Chris that too. That, yeah. But then eventually, I mean, but to me those songs are still good, and people would ask me, do you have any of the videos? And, and, and I did. I had them, so I put them on YouTube. And so maybe that kept it alive. But I feel like the band went on after me, you know. Well, the band went on, but you know, after they stopped going on, yeah, it was you, you know. Yeah, maybe through you, YouTube. If, maybe you're right then. You, I mean, YouTube. like if you looked up, and there were times when I'd be like, you know, I wonder what happened with Blind Justice. And yeah, yeah. When I search it, there's your okay. YouTube channel. I just so. feel like it's a big torch to carry that I don't want to admit it was me carrying that torch. But yeah, I guess on YouTube I kept. Well, Ed McPadden did some. Him yeah. and his brother put some videos up. Right. And, did know. they? Yeah. 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 Oh, and so, and yeah. again, so why is Sean here? He filmed us. He filmed, I mean, that's your question. We Good question. That's, all, Sean. that's no. Sean's own question. Why yeah. am I here? I'm, I'm um, watching this because I have to do this myself. Yes, so. yes, yeah. you do. And I want to yeah. see the process. I hope I can be there. No, I'm forgettable too, Mike. Jeez. I mean, I, I d- I've disappeared. <laughs> I, I know how to disappear and I've done it. No, so, so back then there were no phones. There were no cell phones when we were re- 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 rehearsing, playing, nothing. If you wanted to see yourself play, you like had to pay someone to bring a VHS camera yes, right, and yes, an extension cord right. and extra batteries. Or you had to pay that guy at Toads yeah. that would like, say, "Here's oh, yeah. your." I, I never, you. I never got paid. No, and I apologize for that. <laughs> and that's why you're here. I think this is your. <laughs> this pay. is my pay. Is Did you want pay. some tea? Thank you, Sean. Yeah, some Thank tea. you. Would you like with honey? <laughs> <laughs> um, and so all that existed was VHS. But Sean often came on his own dime with his own equipment. And videotaped us. And then Ed McPadden's brother edited a lot of the different footage from different shows into one, like Carry the Load, that video. Yeah. He edited all that footage. So I think Sean shot us maybe on the green, maybe at Toads, maybe at Norwalk Oyster Festival. And then suddenly Ed's brother was able to put it all together. And it looks like a multi-camera shoot from different shows. And he did it. uh, I think he did Carry the Load, Checkmate, Checkmate. those videos made a big difference because that was beyond our editing capability. But I have to give him credit because editing from those VHS tapes is yeah. very tedious. Right. right. You, you have to transfer real time, get yeah. it into some... Oh, my God. Yeah. So and if when, it doesn't work, you got to trim a frame one way or the other. Right. When I saw that he had done that for you guys, I was yeah. like, 
there, here's some record, a good record of this band and what they did. Yeah. Well, that's yeah. why if you go to, the, I sort of did a documentary, the best I can do on YouTube, called Blind Justice, the documentary, mm-hmm. easy to remember. But you'll see at the end, I credit Sean for video footage, um, yes. Marty McPadden, and uh, and then I edited it. But now I'm editing digital in the iPhone, which is so much easier. So I can sit on my couch. <laughs> and I, eat chocolates yeah, and drink I, the I chips. I can be editing and, and eating chips at the same time. It's a beautiful thing. But you know what? I have to give a huge, huge credit to Sean for his passion for helping the local music scene right. to thrive. He put the same heart and soul into what he did to promote other people's right. work as he even maybe even more so even the magazine he had hip magazine hip magazine and we're gonna that's a whole that's a whole we're gonna do a whole nother episode podcast that's a whole podcast art's gonna be ready to ask questions about it yeah Yeah. and i forgot to bring the issues i was gonna bring you the issues (laughs) no because think about this think we've been saying this all through the show but there was no internet Oh, I know. That blows your mind. There were no cell phones, so you can say, hey, come check this out, right? right. There was nothing. You had, you had an orange cassette <laughs> and a station wagon, yeah. right? Yeah, oh my God. No and, wonder I and, was so lonely. And yet, <laughs> and yet, let's check out what you did. You had like upwards of like a thousand people at your shows. You couldn't even breathe in those shows. Yeah, imagine. And then we had people like Sean, who started, you know, along with some friends, like hit, hit magazine. Hit magazine. Right? We hit. had we had, we tried to generate our own means of promotion because the advocates were there and yep. they had a little bit of music, but we decided to take it a little bit farther with Hit Magazine. It was an avenue to promote everything we're talking about, all the local bands. And um, but the other one other avenue I want to mention that Mike and I were both involved in was public access television, yes. which was a way to for bands to get a little bit of exposure on the local cable channels. And we both we both used public access as much as we could. I would videotape the bands, go to the gigs, and actually air the footage on public access so they would be seen. But you isn't know, it weird to look back and go, like, I, even I can't imagine not having the internet. Mm-hmm. And I'm 58. Mm-hmm. I don't mind saying my age. A lot of rock Sorry. stars won't. But, uh, <laughs> but imagine a kid today, say they're 13, right? Yeah. Can you imagine not having an internet? Like, let's say I had a question. Uh, how old how do, do I find that out? Yeah. How old do giraffes get? Well, yes. you got to go to the, you got to oh, get a ride God. to the library. Well, I have another question. <laughs> We're talking about no web, no cell phones, and yeah. all this other stuff. So this has been puzzling me. Web girls. There's oh, no web. Spider-Man's web. Ah. Yeah. Oh. I, I was going there. I yeah. go, it had to be like a sp- okay. something to do with Come spiders. On. Okay. And this is pre-MCU. Do you guys know what MCU is? The Marvel Cinematic. Honestly. Oh, right, <laughs> yeah. Right. So back then, and Chris liked comic books. If you listen to what he's saying, he was MC Spy D, MC Spidey. Gotcha. And the girls singing were the web girls. And uh, and that's Wendy Bolding in the background going, oh, MC Spy D. That's her voice, yeah. Okay. Yeah, that was a fun song. Yeah. But uh, again, because in the beginning, we weren't sure what persona he should have. <laughs> Was it really a band, or were the musicians going to change every time? Because I didn't want to be in a band again. 
yeah. I wanted to just record. record. But once we started playing out, I mean, how do you resist it mm-hmm. when the audience is showing up? That, like they say, if you want to keep your band together, as long as you're gigging and the audience is there, you're going to keep, you're keep gonna doing keep it. Going. Now, you kind of lost your mind at the Blind Justice <laughs> show. Wouldn't you say so, Sean? How many times was your mind lost at the Blind Justice show? That's a that's I'm an interesting kissing. phrase. I'm, I'm losing my mind. I mean, it, it was all encompassing. It really was. I mean, and they fired on all cylinders, like Mike said, when they were on. When they were on, right? We had to be on. And I do want to go for the record. The original Blind Justice is my favorite. Yeah. Of all of Chris's yeah. bands, I don't know if it was because he was. This was the first thing he did, or the message was right. But I know he's still out there performing, doing his thing. And whatever he does, it's going to be good. But sometimes that original thing, right. that right. that beautiful thought, you know, yeah. that that whole intention, you know, it's hard to it's hard to recreate something like that. Yeah. And it was new for all of us, so. Right, you know. and if it and if you look at the band like Ingredients, mm-hmm. like. If Chris is flour, that's a major ingredient in a cake, but one of us was frosting, one of us was eggs, one of us was milk, water, whatever's in a cake. I'm no baker, but the point is the ingredients were right, and it was cooked just to the right temperature, and then then we invited the audience to just jump all over the cake. All right, talk to us about In Stereo, Mike. This is one of Art's favorites, I think, huh? Mm -hmm. Well, In Stereo is one of the first four track songs where I said to Chris hey here's a riff I did in E you know he didn't need to know the key but it's in E keyboard based uh, hip hop sort of beat and he wanted to improv something over so he improv some like cartoon character voices at the beginning and said in stereo blah blah and then we got to the point where and basically it's just going that's it E very easy Um, but uh, like a hypnotic bass you know and then he said, I want trumpet over it, though. He even says in the lyrics, trumpet, voice, all blind, you like mace, man. Whatever that means, we got a trumpet player. He knew Beulah Tickner came in. Uh, we recorded her trumpet. Um, and then that, I, that really adds something to that trumpet. Yeah, is like, especially oh. when I added, I had this cool little reverb unit that could add delay or reverb, yeah. and it made it sound like you went to a studio. But yeah. we were just standing in, like, near some booths, a performance studio had like restaurant booths. We were just next yeah. to that, you know. And so the song, again, it got as good as it can get on a four-track cassette. Mm-hmm. But then when we did it live, it was more powerful. But I just waited for that breakdown. Because uh, 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 then Chris and his partner in crime was uh, a guy named Robless, Rob Gauthier, Gauthier. I'm not sure how he says his last name. But they would dance together. They had these dance moves worked out. And they would choreograph a dance over that, which, again, is... A snippet is in the documentary. I saw that, yeah. Mm. But they would dance, and that's, you know, again, once the, once they're dancing to a groove, a lot of times then the audience would too. Uh, going out to Robles, uh, my boy DFS, a drug free MC. The man next to me is MIK. Uh, I'm MC Spy D. This song, as you will know, is called. I Trumpet voice, I'll blind you like mace One man band rocks a rhythm with taste Couldn't find no one to be down Decided to display my own fucking sound No MC at heart, man I made a groove, was trying to start a band Well, what you know? 
Ended up rocking my groove in stereo. Oh, 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 get the groove. Percussion drums, I used to be all thumbs. Now I'm the MC to get the job done. Some MCs drink beer to get loose. Vitamin C's for me, I got juice. Body and mind, body and soul, man. All that drinking will take its toll. One man band's got to be in shape, you get soft. Your mic, I'll take away. I'll get, get so. Moving, grooving, improving in stereo. Oh, 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 baby. Oh, 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 web girls. One man band, band of one man, numero uno, that's how it's done. Try to orchestrate different MCs, not many could compare to me. They will recite it. Well, I can improv like tennis. I return their lives. No rapper could get over the net, and they found out that they was all win. I can taste success on the end of my tongue. I was like Tyson when the bell had rung. Came out my corner with a mouth full of fury. My competition, they scattered in a hurry, so I battled. Oh, what a man it Two came out with Octung Baby that um and I remember hearing the song The Fly mm. and I went why do I know that riff and the, the guitar is going rah, 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 and I was like oh that's so cool and even you know it's just two notes uh, a monkey would come up with those two notes if you gave him a guitar long enough but to hear my riff come back and it's on a million selling album mm. I felt validated, validated even though it wasn't my album because hey. I had that riff. You want to feel Years validated? Before. I have uh, 23-year-old twin daughters, right? And when I played that song, they said, that's got a cool vibe. Oh, that's dope. That was epic. Oh, no, nice. I don't know what a See? cool vibe means, but that's the lingo. Yeah, no, that's I mean, cool we vibe. would say that, too. We yeah. would say cool vibe. Yeah. Vibe is important. We had a saying when we were in Images, the vibe is such a, a delicate thing. We would, you know, if a musician comes in and goes, how come you're late? You didn't help us set up the PA. 
that wrecks your vibe. Yeah, your vibe and then bad. you're not going to play good. And that you record. have to have a good vibe to be yeah. creative. But we made a sign, don't wreck the vibe. Don't blow the vibe. We said, the vibe has to be there. Oh, man, I so get that. Yep. No, seriously, if you're trying to be creative, somebody could could blow that moment in a second. And now they do it in the workplaces. Yeah. You know, don't wreck your vibe. Like, I just got here, man. I was early. I came here. I wanted to come here. And it's so great to li- to listen to the way you made these songs and how you used whatever was available to you, right? Yeah. You know, if you had like your your four track, um, if you were like you know just you put things together sometimes with spit and glue and they came <laughs> out. So yeah, isn't that great? Can you believe they didn't have enough producer? Yeah, you know what? I mean that they I, they were collaborating enough to come up with a, to put all these guys together. And come up with Sean. Never mind the live I, show. The recordings are good I, I, too. I know. <laughs> it's just like everything. I mean, if you listen like, to the arrangements, they're incredible. I know. They are. You know, now you know we live in a world where everything is so clean and so perfect that right. it's there's no soul to it, almost. Mm-hmm. But you had your your soul was right in it. You know, it was oh, yeah, almost we, like we being kids. You know, like you can be kids together and make things and use your imagination. Yeah. Use whatever you had to create something. And when you're done with it, it's really you. Yeah. I'm <laughs> 
mentioned dead wrong when people want to talk about blind justice because the other songs were so important lyrically okay, okay. but but riff wise yep and baseline wise and structure wise dead wrong is phenomenal yeah because um i think mike ranciata wrote all of it i'm gonna even say he probably wrote the baseline and showed me what to do um, I mean, it's two notes, so again, it's not hard. I know, but I really But he like showed the... me the feel. Mm-hmm. So the drums are... And then I'm going... Mm-hmm. And that... Uh, I mean, think of all the songs written with those two notes, right? Mm-hmm. You know, you really got me all day and all night. All, you know, it goes on and on. But so it's sort of a funky, almost like... Uh, time keeps on slipping, 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 right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's, yeah. A, yeah, it's <laughs> that kind of sound. Mm. Yeah. Um, I might have even used a pick because that percussiveness of a pick, sometimes you want it. So it starts with the bass line and the drums. And the keyboard is doing that Hammond organ thing. Uh, like, you know, Deep Purple has a song, Hush, it goes like, yeah. it's almost like you're playing bongos on the keyboard. Right. Starts like that. But then in the, and so Chris is saying, if you think I can't kick out a rhyme and sing in the same song, you're dead wrong. Because back then they would say, you either should rap or sing. You can't do both. That's what we would hear. That's a real statement song for this band, yeah. right? And he would say, yeah. oh, you're dead wrong. It's going to work, and I'm going to show you how it works. But when he would say, you're dead wrong, then we would kick mm-hmm. into the second gear where the keyboards went. Instead of just percussive little keyboard things, he'd go, and he'd start doing that Leslie spinning speaker roaring sound. I mean, we had to simulate it all. We didn't have a Leslie, a Leslie speaker. You know, yeah, but no. the keyboards were all digital and sample, so... Uh, and then it would build. And the nice thing about Blind Justice, when when it was time to build, we did it together. So if Chris sang louder, the drums played louder, I hit the bass louder, the keyboards got louder, yeah. guitars slamming away. And so Dead Wrong is a good groove, and maybe we should listen to it. I think, yes. No, you should say that. I think we should listen to it. Yeah. <laughs> Get busy. 
Blind Justice 2 is what you just said. It's like everybody operated as one. It was like you were like yeah. one body. The way everything moved and breathed. It took a year in a band to learn that, though. Yeah. That when, I mean, you follow, I think you follow, everybody says you follow the drummer, click track, blah, blah, blah. You got to follow the singer. He's the one emoting to, like, think about 
any Rolling Stones song. If it was instrumental, it would be okay. But when Mick Jagger is singing that to the audience, I'm jumping Jack Flash, you know, and he's in your face. Yeah. You know, he's like a rooster up there. Elbows, my elbows are out right now, ladies and I gentlemen. Yeah. And, uh, I should get a video of that. Yeah. Yeah, it's crazy. Sometimes I walk around the house like that. But he, uh, you know, so Mick Jagger's in your face singing, and that's when it comes alive. And so, like, uh, if Mick Jagger did that in your face and the band didn't go with him, yep. he'd have to fire the band and say, we need, we need a better band, you know. But they, they got to be there supporting him. He's walking yeah. the plank. The plank has to go out with him. Right. That's what I say. Yeah. <clears throat> right. Oh, you guys went out with him. Oh, yeah. Definitely. Absolutely. Yeah, we tried. <laughs> you all had a good sense of song. You know, yeah. what should happen in a song. Right. Yeah. And nobody stepped on anybody. That you didn't have a producer is like yeah. mind-blowing. So you guys did it intuitively? We never wrote Chris's work. Like, he came in with the words. He wrote all those. The message... The lyrics, the dream of it, the direction of the band was all him. You know, we were musically at our own helms. So when we came in, I knew the bass had to be solid with the drums. And we also knew from doing gigs, if you're in a rehearsal and um, drums don't sound good in rehearsal rooms, like in your attic or in your basement or in your yard, you know. But if you mic the bass drum, if you have a PA, you can mic the bass drum. So that's what we did every rehearsal, mic his bass drum. So it punched so you, you in the chest. Yeah, yeah, if you feel it in your chest, yeah. it's easy for me to lock in with the yeah. bass. And I would be just loud enough to match that. And then the guitars would be loud enough to match us, and then Chris would be on the mic. So we were so used to doing that in rehearsal that when we went live and had a sound guy and he was helping us, it was yeah, amazing. Yeah, then it was amazing. Or in a studio, if someone helped us after we already brought our own qualities then it was amazing that's interesting because the word that came to mind when i when i listened to the beat and listened to the songs is nasty the drums yeah. are nasty yeah i mean they snap yeah. you mentioned john bonham earlier uh, you yeah know, and sly and the family stone the the one of the hardest hitting drummers yeah right in rock and roll history and you could just hear that snap snap yeah, i love snap. that he just knew where to do that and we did it with him you know what so where did he go i mean you know we thought that he Pete, moved to california know, yeah after, I mean, Blind Justice broke up. Yeah. He moved to California. He joined the band Cake, and he toured with them. Yeah. Like a couple did. of albums. Right. Then I think, word was he dabbled with Nora Jones, different bands, like famous bands. Great, great drummer, but Pete was high energy all the time. But if you could hang with him, I tried it. I, I <laughs> went I went to him with to California on he a did. road trip. Yeah, we hung out wow. af, after the band broke up and uh, traveled a little bit. I remember his band Sumac. He had another original oh, funk band that. that was pretty good. And that was out in California. That was out in California, yeah. I've never been there. Love it. I stay here. I eat pizza yeah. at least twice a week. And chips. <laughs> yep. Uh, it's a nightmare. <laughs> Don't tell us the details. <laughs> I should lay off it a little. Let's ask oh. a serious question. So as far as the music goes, recorded music, right? Yeah. I know there's a cassette out there. Is there... Anywhere the music exists, were there ever CDs? Yeah, boy, that's a question I have to think about. So we did the Orange cassette first, mm -hmm. and that featured some of our four-track demos. Mm -hmm. so, th so that's embarrassingly low quality. But I will say, when I started making the documentary, I found the clips on YouTube of U2 doing a riff like in stereo and, mm -hmm. and a riff like... Um, the Chili... And Peter Vorez told me this. He said, oh, even the Chili Peppers ripped off in stereo. I go, When? I don't remember that riff on a Chili Pepper album. He said, yeah, but it's his voice doing it. 
Yeah. And so the song where he goes, can't stop addicted to the shindig, whatever. I went, oh, that didn't occur to me. I guess that's why I like that song. Because yep. I had that riff in my head for years with Blind Justice. But uh, So t- to show the audience in the documentary, I put the orange tape in a cassette and hit play. And I show you the cassette spinning. When I compare the sound of the cassette to U2's album and Chili Peppers' album, on YouTube at least, the cassette sounds better. I don't know how that could be. How could that mm. be? The cassette sounded better than their <laughs> albums in studios. So I was okay. in the band for maybe only 50 gigs. And here's what's weird. By gig like 30, I was kind of floored that my other band did 103 gigs and we got to a certain level. That was sort of local success, right? Blind Justice hit that same level within about 15 to 20 gigs. Yeah, like gonna, immediate. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And, and then exceeded it. So by the time I left the band, um, they were on a roll. And I thought maybe they'll still get signed. But like I said, I talked to the record guys. They just were afraid to sign us. I think financially they didn't know where they'd even pigeonhole us. You know how record labels want to pigeonhole you somewhere. They couldn't do it with our band. So uh, I left. The band kept going. And then they put out a tape. I think it was called Here Come the Colored People. And on the cover, every one of them is a different color. Green, blue, purple. You know, they're all painted. And then... And then I think they might have made a label or got on a label locally that put the, a lot of the songs together. Mm-hmm. And they then they recorded Creep Show for real. So on the Creep Show version, that's actually Andy Dugan playing bass. Uh, so I made myself so, yeah. a CD, to, uh-huh. to answer your question. Yep. I burned myself a CD of all of that, which okay. I like. But they right. never, you never she officially did. put it out no. as a real CD. I can do and it. And they never made a real video. Really? No. MTV right. was so popular. I know. And yeah. you poor guys, and you were so visual. That visual. The videos, I thought, were very important. And then yeah. they didn't have one. So. And they didn't put out a CD like we just talked about, which is a shame. Yeah. So. Imagine it's, what that would be worth today, you know, a real yeah. Blind Justice. We're here talking about this great band. I know. And they didn't and put out a CD. That is not true. <laughs> right. Well, that's probably worth something if you could find no, it. How many so, copies so, of these things did you did you press? I could burn them right now. It's in my computer. Mm. No, but I'm saying, what, so when we talked about this podcast, I uploaded all the Blind Justice music to Dropbox, and so you could hear it all. Mm-hmm. And if you want, I'll send you the link, and you'll have it all. So without managing oh. and, and a record label and everything, the, the touring, you were around for about 50 gigs, you said. What was the, yeah. t- the touring like? Because I imagine you funded it yourselves, or was there oh, someone um, paying? How far did you oh, go? We only New York, went New Jersey? As far as we could drive and back the same night. So right. we did Connecticut. It's not that funny. She's, that was a bombastic <laughs> yeah, laugh. Come on. <laughs> that was no, a big no, mocking I, laugh. No, no, no. I get it. That's <laughs> yeah. why. I'm, yeah. Yeah, so we did, I know we did Vermont, Massachusetts, Connecticut, mostly, Mm. and then we'd go to New York, New Jersey, and cool places. We played a place called the Black Cat in New Jersey that I thought was awesome. Mm -hmm. And Ron Wood of the Stones has a club called Woody's. Mm -hmm. The best sound I ever heard in my life live with my band was at Woody's. Mm. I'd like to talk about He Is Me. Oh, yeah. That's another good song. Okay, you asked about Chris getting to know him. He's telling you everything about himself, about himself and not about N.A. or drug addiction. He's telling you about himself and his relationship to his mother, who was an actress, and how she died when he was young. And now that he's performing, he feels like she has a front row seat to all his stuff. 
And he goes, how do I know? Because he is me. He's singing about himself. And I don't know where the trumpet... I think because in stereo had a trumpet, we said we should do another one, but we didn't have a trumpet player in the band. Beulah had only helped us do that track. So Mike Rianciato found a sample of a trumpet that he can go... Bum, 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 mm-hmm. And we let that play like... I like songs where the bass doesn't come in right away. Like, you know, U2's Mysterious Ways? Yeah. Listen to that someday and listen to how long it takes before the bass is in. You think you're hearing it and you're not. You're not. It's guitar, bassy guitars mm-hmm. and drums and only, I don't know, a whole minute goes by. Then the bass is in. Yeah. And you're like, oh my God, that's awesome. So we approach it that way. It's just trumpet, guitars, drums, and then the bass goes, and I'm just copying the trumpet line, but I'm playing it sort of behind the beat. Yeah. And just it came together it nice. Yeah. Oh man, that works, doesn't but so, it? Yes, I, somebody it does, told me yeah. that dis- it disturbed them that he was singing a song like being on the grave to his mom, but I thought it was a spirit it's a spiritual I song. You know, it's good. Yeah, very much. Walking in a city that had no name. Knew we had to dream his only claim to fame. Seeing many rappers feeling a funky groove Knew we had to get up and bust his move Mommy was a spotlight holder in the old day Now we had to look for the bright lights another way Knew we had to pay his dues, it was not free How do I know? He is me But he was a strong one Shown the wrong road But he chose the right one way or another He reached out to his brothers and sisters But he always missed her Who brought him into this world of creation With no hesitation he joined the blind nation The days of suffering subsided he's free How do I know? He is me creativity in the man in demand who stands up my crazy mom gave me enough instilled in my well white a million dollar bill i chill from above despite the overkill the curtain call just pops prepared the umpteen time he still gets scared he's here he knows it he feels the spirit the whispers says good luck in his ear he feels it but no luck needed he's practiced for hours focused as a camera in touch with powers of love the tear falls so silently his dream and her dream he is me.
she was crazy, man. She gave me so much, man. I'm telling you, I wouldn't do what I am, man. I miss her sometimes, man. You hear me, mom? to give all these songs a listen again to the lyrics because i'm just vibing I'm yeah getting, i'm getting into the beat yeah just you know like, that that's true know, art yeah right yeah. you really do have to take a closer listen that's why i suggested yeah. to you you get chris to make sure he somehow there's a, a record of all his lyrics because that's a big part of these songs yeah you said that before we should do a video that his lyrics are on them that's he should right write them out yeah that's right lyric videos for but those he's two songs. yeah he's very busy though well, the thoughts with the documentary, uh, and that was Chris's idea, the documentary. Number one, to clarify in his head the order that things happened in, because he did forget a lot of it. He forgot how we met and that we were in a play. Uh, he didn't know if, we was, if he was recruited into the band, but um, once you refresh the memory, then we start remembering. But he felt, especially because he's on the West Coast now and we're here on the East, he thinks that if I made like a preview of the documentary then he could get interest over there. And somebody would say, hey, we're going to fund that and make content for whatever, Amazon Prime, Netflix, yeah. something. Because mm-hmm. we were at the inception of rap and rock coming together. Yeah. And so whether we were famous or not, I mean, those those bands remember us. The Spin Doctors will remember us. Tom Morello will remember us if we can get them to talk about it. Mm. And I bet you uh, Chris from the Spin Doctors would. I haven't talked to him, but we toured together, you know couple shows two or three shows in each state you know yeah. of the two states i'm talking about not 50 <laughs> <laughs> we did four huge shows and the cape cotter think oh, about that was that. a cool but it was place. a little, yeah, a little like tiny. a seafood bar and then yeah. it burned down later so no. um boy i should have added that when i said pre-internet pre 9-11 pre-cape cotter's <clears throat> demise a lot of things change remember the tune-in we played yeah, there tune-in. Yep. the tune-in we played with uh, flock of seagulls. Oh, and that did not go well. That doesn't mm-hmm. seem like a good match. It was though. too tiny, and it was. They were. Yeah. They were. We were still never wases, but they were has-beens by now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> but they had all their stuff on the stage: keyboards, drums, yeah. a lot. And so then we showed up, and we're like, "You're gonna get that off the stage, right?" Because we have two drummers, a DJ. Yeah. Right. Uh, you know, this guy with a sampler, and we got a guy that's gonna flip upside down, and Mister Connecticut's here. And I need a place to stand. They wouldn't move their stuff, and we kept asking. They just would not move. Nope, sorry, we're the headliner. And I and I finally went. This is a flock of shit. I remember I said, <laughs> "You could bleep that if you have to." But uh, I thought that was clever. No one really laughed, but I, you know, this is a flock of shit. I'm laughing. <laughs> yeah, it was funny. But then and then somehow. I think we just moved their stuff. I think we just yeah. moved their stuff and played. Because we had like nine bands. What are they going to yeah. do? I know. One drummer's going to come out with his hair. You can't do that. You know? So we just yeah. moved, you know. Yeah. <laughs> oh, these are great stories, aren't they? <laughs> yeah. Really so good. Yeah. good times. Yeah, yeah rock and roll goodness. stories. Yeah. Yeah. Love them. Love them. Mike. Okay, and can I tell you this? Uh, yeah. um, uh, an emotional moment. So the record labels, when they saw us in Musician Magazine and they were 
uh, I want to say they were courting us, even though we didn't get signed. And they one day they called, hey, we're going to be in town in Connecticut on the 30th. Can you do a show? I said, we don't have a gig on that day. It's a Tuesday. And he says, well, can you do something in your rehearsal room? We don't mind. And invite some people. I said, okay. So we set it up in the rehearsal room. We, we rehearsed in Bridgeport at 661 Rehearsal Studio. That's on Lindley Street, right? Uh, Was that Lindley? Yeah, Lindley. Yeah, yeah. 661 yeah. Lindley. Yeah, mm-hmm. 661 Lindley. And we knew we can get a good sound because the, the amplifier they had for the bass there was that Ampeg with the 10 speakers. And, and I brought mine. So now I had both of those, the Ampeg, the Meza Boogie, the Galleon Kruger. Uh, Pete, we mic'd his bass drum as usual. Got a good sound, invited people. And Chris always would invite dancers. And so I knew someone videotaped it because snippets of that are in the Carry the Load video. But I never saw the tape. Other than the snippets that Marty McPadden put in. So, um, can you not yawn on? Sorry about that. <laughs> Sean does a thing called yawn mower. So it's funny that, it's funny that he's I'm yawning. in my story. Dude. Okay. No, anyway. I'm enjoying your stories, no, Mike. I'm it's sorry. Getting it's getting a little warm in here. You took you, your you sweatshirt off. Oh, I, should lower I still have four sorry. layers on. It's so here. cold in New England. It's so cold when you're, it never was. <laughs> Finish so that anyway, story. Okay, Come on. so uh, now fast forward. 35 years? How many years? We did that in 1989. Mm-hmm. So you do the math, kids. Get out your phone mm-hmm. and calculator app. Um, so one day I'm talking to Ronnie Newhauser and he says, I think I have that tape. And I'm like, wait, how do you have the tape? He was in a whole other band. He has his own studio. Yeah. He, you know. Uh, and he said, well, I don't know how I have it, but I have a huge Tupperware in my basement full of VHS of my band and other things I like. He goes, if you come over, well, it takes two people to lift this t- Tupperware. So you, like bigger than the Christmas ones you store yeah, Christmas yeah. things in. So we brought it upstairs, put it on a coffee table. He went through it. He must have had 100 tapes. And there it was. Oh, Blind wow. Justice at 661, blah, blah, blah. And we watched it. And about the fourth song, I think during the song Blind Justice, Chris called out a dancer. And it was Noelle who passed away of cancer now. And she was in all her glory dancing her ballet oh. to that song. And we haven't seen her in 35 years, dude. That was awesome. And it was in Ron's Tupperware the whole time. He's the only one that has it. He doesn't know why he had that tape. We think, because it was a record label thing, it was important, we think Kurt Carbone taped it and gave it to Ronnie mm-hmm. to watch it and never took it back. That's what we think. Mm. Yeah. But but what a joy to see that. That's on YouTube now yeah. under the song Blind Justice at 661. And there she is dancing, you know, at her at her peak. Like, can you imagine, you know, your life minus any of this? No, I know. To me, the only plus if you made it is financial. So I always say, uh, I am rich, but not financially. Like, Mm -hmm. I mean, uh, those are great memories musically and and putting a song together with five guys and, and having it really gel. Or even like writing it by yourself and then five musicians take it and take it to another level and that's put themselves in it it's almost like that's your child yeah, i don't like have kids that was yeah, my baby yeah exactly. yeah watching my baby grow it's up like and go baby. to college oh yeah and it was dead wrong you know but uh and 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 i raised baby birds once that i found and you know what that has way more views on youtube than blind justice so you know say what you want about music and this and that but uh uh i feel like raising the birds was more important do you know what i mean and and YouTube bears that out. People 
find a baby robin. They don't know what to do. They can't put it in the nest. The, the mother's dead. The yeah. lawnmower ran her over. How do I feed this robin? And they come to my page and see it, you know. I love that stuff, too. I yeah, really and that's a rich, that. you know, yeah. I felt I, like St. Francis I, carrying those I, birds around. That's my favorite. I even wore a brown hoodie like a they, cloak. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Those are riches that, you know, because I joke around when I say I'm a never was. I wouldn't trade that for fame. No. Unless it came with a bazillion dollars. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I, I will say that, you know, for, for somebody who was in the audience listening to that music and seeing that show and feeling that vibe and that energy, this is the best thing I've ever seen That's awesome. locally. Really no, I'm glad you shared that. No, it was. I, I can't wait to go back and listen to the beginning of this again when you said it was bombastic. People virtually burst into flames <laughs> in the audience. How about we find out where we can hear more? I know oh, we have your YouTube channel. I would say go to YouTube and just type yep. in Blind Justice. But make sure you write New Haven because there's some other Blind Justice out there now. Mm-hmm. And they're unrelated. Another band. Uh, and also Blind Justice is a concept that justice should be blind. There's yeah. even a statue, right? Sure. Of justice with a blindfold. So write Blind Justice New Haven and feel free to write my name in, Mike Fransman, Mike Fransman. or Chris Keys or Sean Corvino because he taped... Norwalk, uh, where we played, and yep. uh, Hip Magazine had a party on the beach. That's really a good one. That was a Latter Day Blind Justice show for my one of my last shows on Milford Beach. I think I saw that and video. Yeah, and and, and honestly, good. just type in Blind Justice the documentary. I am proud of this 15 minute or 16 minute documentary I made. I feel it hits all the strong points mm-hmm. and shows you some clips too. And speaking of that documentary, I know you were looking for people because it's not finished, right? It's a work in progress. Right. Well, so, I feel like my part is finished, but <laughs> I feel like I should have filmed you and I, and I want to get you saying stuff, you know. Yeah. So if more, and I know John Peckman said some things on his podcast mm-hmm. that he's going to send me. So if I get more footage, I'll make it longer. Yeah, and it, but, and, but it's good. But I know at one time it is were, a work in progress. You yeah. were saying that you were encouraging people. I think right on the documentary, yeah, you're saying you're encouraging people to they have a story. Yeah. you know, send it in, film yourself on your phone, and do it this way. This yeah, way. just hold the yeah. camera the lengthwise yeah. landscape. <laughs> so many people film themselves up I and know. down, and it then doesn't work. You know, you get those nice black brackets. Yeah. Right. But I could I could write things there, neat things, you yes. know. Like, look, this guy doesn't listen. <laughs> <laughs> and what about Chris? And and by the way, mm. um, just the spelling of Chris Keys, right? Yeah, K R I S, and Keys has an E in it. K E Y E S. K E Y E S. K E Y E S. That's how I remember it. <laughs> so where do we find Chris these days? Oh, so he's in. Uh, he was in San Diego for mm-hmm. a long time. Now he's in Oregon. Okay, I'm not sure which city. But I told him recently on the phone, I said, Chris, the missing element in this documentary is you. I have you on stage, but I don't have you speaking. Yeah. And, uh, and again, he said he wanted to wait because if, if someone says for real, hey, we're going we're gonna to make this documentary, like if a film company or a production company says it, they'll redo all this. And then mine will just have been a, a sampler, like an appetizer. So he's waiting for that. But I told him, you know, you know how life is. Things could change. I would like him speaking, but he always spoke through his music. I think that's the point. He speaks through his music. He doesn't really interview. No, yes. his his messages are in those lyrics, and right. even I don't know all the lyrics. I know I know the I know the groove, and I know I know his energy's there, but I don't know exactly. Oh, that's if you, why. If you listen in headphones, which I recommend, mm-hmm. you'll pick them up 
And some of them are fun. Like you said, I'm the Batman of rhymes, swooping right in. It's like, that's cool. It's very visual, you know? Well, that's glad you, you know the lyrics and you told us more about yeah. his lyrics because I've always been curious. Listen, listen to those lyrics. Listen yeah. a little deeper. Listen to the meaning behind them. I think that's when you're really going to appreciate the art and the soul of this music. Yeah. And you know, it's funny. You, you, you hear it and he's so effortless at rapping. That you think, oh, I could do that. But then, you you know, if I try to go, the porn stand poised, packed it. I'm like, that sounds horrible. <laughs> but he does it, and you're like, he's just spitting those words out. And you're seeing, it's like you, your mind sees the scenario of what he's talking about. As much as any, the element of surprise was brilliant. Yeah. And he would do that every show. Now, there was he, some. He, he went the extra mile all the time. The first few shows he would use whatever he had to make an entrance. And sometimes they would bring him out on a pallet, you know, like a shipping pallet. Yeah. People would carry him out on a pallet. And on the pallet was a refrigerator box that someone drew on in a magic marker. And you're like, that's weird. What, why is there a refrigerator box? <laughs> and we're playing. Dum, dum, dum. And even we're playing. The band is Wait, like, you didn't what even the know? And yeah, we didn't know. But we, but we knew to sort of get out of the way. <laughs> and then... When the song would change, boom, he would bust out of it. He'd punch his way out of the box. Wow. And uh, and then in the box with him maybe were mummies. And then, you know, there were kids wrapped in toilet paper. And they would take all their toilet paper off and start doing backflips without touching the ground. And you're like, holy Toledo. <laughs> yeah. And I was just out of the way with the bass uh, being totally entertained and just trying to remember the song, right. you know. But that was fun. I'm seeing Blind Justice, the stage play. The Broadway. Oh, yeah. Blind, Blind Justice Broadway. But I feel like people would get hurt. Like, remember how you two tried to do Spider-Man and people get, kept getting hurt? Like a guy <laughs> fell and then yeah. they said, we're not going to do this play. How about we get one favorite special Blind Justice story out of Sean? Yeah. Come me. on, Sean. That give us one. Good. Something. One. Just a moment. My, my favorite um, experience is to be on the camera capturing it. Because I thought it was valuable, and I said the way to the way to show people what these guys are doing is with a it's got to be videotaped. Right. So I would I would take the camera and instead of watching the show, I would do the best I could to make some nice tapes of these guys. Because yeah. I thought they would maybe pay me for it, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and they would use them to promote themselves, but they never, they never did. So. Still waiting, right? <laughs> but I still have some tapes, and some of the tapes have surfaced, so I'm proud to have recorded them. Because once a band breaks up or once people leave, your chances of seeing these guys are, is only going to happen on a videotape or a, a recording. So. Back in the 80s, I did the same thing you did. I was roadieing for a band, but I was also their official videographer. Ah. And I had the big camera and this light that just, it would blind you if you looked at it. <laughs> yeah. But it's 40 years later, one of the guys passed, and we, we brought out the videotape to put it onto DVD, put it on YouTube, and they're like, oh, my God. Yeah. First of all, we were a lot younger. But yeah. second of all, to see the band playing the keg house and playing. Oh, the sure. I, I like I that mean, place. It was just awesome. Yeah. When you're a musician, those are your home movies. You that's know? it. Right. Yeah. yeah. That's your family. That's your life. That's your story. Mike Franzman, thank you so very thank much. Thank you. And Sean Corvino. I'm here. I can't wait to do my I podcast. I am so <laughs> happy that you were here tonight. It's so great just to see your smile. I want to say one of the art, art. Mm-hmm. When you look at Sean, doesn't he look a little bit like who? What actor? 
Come on. Smile. Come on. Yeah. yeah. Come on. Robert De Niro. Robert De Niro. Huh? Yeah. You. Yeah, you. Franzman looks like De Niro. <laughs> no, I could do the voice if you do the face. Yeah, you. Hello? You ever hear him when he answered the phone? Hello. <laughs> yeah. All right. Hey, so that about concludes it for this episode of Off the Charts. We want to thank Mike for inviting us over. And thank you. It, and and Sean, it's been a great podcast, I think. Uh, great band, Blind Justice. Learned a lot. A lot of excellent stories. And what do you got to say, Lisa? I'm starstruck. <laughs> no. No, I no, I really mean it. I, I learned a lot, a lot of stuff about, you know, they were local heroes to me. And so this was really, really super cool, Mike. Thank no, you. thanks for having me. And I hope I represented the band well. Um, we had a good time when we played. And if people saw it like you saw it and appreciated it, that that's that makes it worth it. Right. I think the story is definitely not over. Um, I get a great sense that something is going to come along, and this story is going to be told the way it should be told, seen, and the music heard the way it should be heard. I I just have a feeling about that. I hope I'm right. Yeah. But whether I'm right or I'm not right, what you made was. Fantastic, bombastic, and like I said before, <laughs> Super I, had, I almost had spontaneous human combustion watching yeah. that band. So yeah. thank you, Blind Justice. Yeah, we survived Blind Justice, and uh, you know now we're passing it on. So, but I would like to guide people: type in on YouTube "Blind Justice" the documentary if you want to watch my 15-minute encapsulation of what we talked about. You know, yeah, it's good stuff. I, yeah. I highly recommend. Thank you it. again. Sounds yeah, good. Thank hey, you, Lisa. Can you dig it? I can. Sh- and Sean, can you dig it? <laughs> I can dig I it. Can dig I can it. dig it. All right. All right. All right. Yeah. What's up, everybody? Welcome to Toads! Up, up, up.